on this episode of Catholics in the Capital. Carol Tobias, president of the National Right to Life. Ernie Olaf, National Right to Life Outreach Director. And Father Jack Hurley from the Cathedral of St. Matthews. And Mike Wasabaugh will be in for Dan. Stay tuned. All this and more. Catholics in the Capital starts right now. Hello, I am your radio host, Christina Cox, and thank you for tuning in to Catholics in the Capital, and welcome to all our new listeners to the Guadalupe Radio Network, the Catholic radio for your soul. Hey friends, our nation's capital is jammed and packed today with visitors from all over the United States who are supporting the March for Life. And thank goodness the snow has melted and the weather is sunny. It's going to be 45 degrees out there today, and we have low winds. But if you're outside, don't forget to bundle up and bring your hats and coats and gloves and join this peaceful and powerful march. We have approximately close to 50,000 or more people have come to participate in the March for Life. It began with yesterday's official opening at the 5.30 p.m. Mass at the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. And the celebrant was Timothy Cardinal Dolan from the Archdiocese of New York. His eminence presided the holy sacrifice of the Mass at the shrine with five cardinals, 320 priests, 90 deacons, 545 seminarians, and the congregation of approximately 12,000 visitors at our nation's national shrine dedicated to the Immaculate Conception. And this morning, there was another adult and family mass for life at 8.30 a.m. mass at the Cathedral of St. Matthews with celebrant Auxiliary Bishop Mario Dorsonville Rodriguez. And the homilist was Monsignor Robert Planky, director of the priest formation of John Paul II Seminary. The speaker was David Burrit, pro-life advocate and founder of 40 Days for Life. Earlier this morning, Donald Cardinal World held a youth rally at Mass for Life, an adult and family rally at 6.45 a.m. this morning at the Capital One Arena. That's formerly known as the Verizon Center. The arena was packed with thousands of March for Life supporters and is always a big inspiration for the young people. Cardinal Donald World Archbishop of Washington and Bishop Michael Burbridge of Arlington, Virginia, have issued a joint letter announcing that planetary indulgence can be obtained by the faithful who take part in the sacred celebrations. Along with the great assembly of people throughout the whole course of the annual event that is called the March for Life. What is plenary indulgence? Well, according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it's a remission before God of temporal punishment due to sins whose guilt has already been forgiven, which the faithful Christian who is dully disposed gains under prescribed conditions. To gain the plenary indulgence, one must go to confession, receive communion, and pray for the intent of the Pope. March for Life, Janine Mancini, president, says, You don't have to be Catholic to come to the 45th annual March for Life. Over the years, she has opened up to all kinds of religious groups and all ages, different races, and it's held on the National Mall. The march begins right now at 1 o'clock 
They'll be marching up Constitution Avenue, going up to the courthouse, and then over to the Capitol building. Some of the great speakers today are Speaker of the House Paul Ryan, Pam Tebow, and the mother of the NFL MLB star Tim Tebow, Matt Burke, former NFL player, and his wife Adriana, U.S. Representative Dan Lipsky, U.S. Representative Chris Smith, and Sister Bethany, Madonna Sisters of Life. Today, we will listen to our special guests from Carol Tobias and Ernie Olaf, who will talk about the mission of the Right to Life. It was founded in 1968. The National Right to Life is the nation's oldest and largest pro-life organization. National Right to Life is a federation of 50 states, Right to Life affiliates, and more than 3,000 local chapters. Through education, National Right to Life is working to restore legal protection to the most defenseless members of our society who are threatened by abortion, infanticide, and assisted suicide. She will talk with us about the federal legislation in the U.S. Congress and how they work to pass the individual state legislators. Later, Father Jack Hurley from the Cathedral of St. Matthew will be joining us for a chat about the Saints' Feast Days this week. Father will talk briefly about the Prayer Week of the Christian Unity, and one of my favorite saints is the Conversion of St. Paul. You won't want to miss that. And later, my co-host today is Michael Washabaugh, and he will join me to talk about the fun things happening in Washington, D.C., Perhaps if you're visiting here for the March to Life, you may want to know where to go to have a bite to eat. And there's some great restaurants in Washington, D.C., so stay tuned for that. And some Vatican news is that Pope Francis left for the six-day trip to go to Chile and Peru. And we pray for a successful and safe trip to these two countries. He will be meeting with the first female president of Chile and also will be visiting a woman's prison. Please remember to pray for Pope Francis. I am your radio host, Christina Cox, and you are listening to Catholics in the Capital on WMET, 1160 AM on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Don't move that dial. I'll be right back with our show. On the 22nd of each month, come to the St. John Paul II National Shrine for Evenings with Merciful Jesus. All are welcome to join the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy for adoration with praise and worship, confession, a talk by one of the sisters, and a small group reflection. Recognize that God's mercy is greater than our sins, so that we call upon Him with trust, receive His mercy, and let it flow through us to others. For more information, go to jp2shrine.org. That is jp2shrine.org. Welcome back to Catholics in the Capital. Here's your host, Christina Cox. And welcome back to Catholics in the Capitol. And with me today, I have Carol Tobias, President of the National Right to Life, and Ernie Olaf, National Right to Life's Outreach Director. Welcome to the show today. Thanks, Christina. Thank you very much, Christina. We enjoy being here. Well, thanks for coming in on a busy day, being that it's Friday today in the March for Life, for you guys to come into the show. Thank you for um, taking the time. Well, we really want to know, when was the National Right to Life formed? Tell us, Carol. We actually started back in 1968, uh, prior to Roe v. Wade. Several states had legislation going, going on that would legalize abortion for some reason. And pro-lifers around the country just started 
standing up and saying, we have to do something to stop this. So in 1968, several people from around the country came together and said, let's form an organization. And it just kind of kept growing from there to where we now have an affiliate in every state with several thousand chapters around the country. So the organization really grew. I won, in 1968, how many people did you start out with? Oh, it was it was just a handful. Uh-huh. Um, but they were there were people all over the country, so it was easy to contact them. And, you know, I wasn't part of it at that time, um, but easy to contact them and just say we need to get more organized and, quite frankly, more official, more businesslike. A lot of work for the first several years of the movement was being done on kitchen cabinets. I mean, kitchen tables, you know, with piles of paper on cabinets. But it just it kind of kept growing because people realized that this was going to be a bigger threat than we might have thought when it started out. Yes. And Ernie, what are the main activities of the National Right to Life? Well, I'd like to add one thing to what uh, Carol said, because not too many people realize that National Right to Life's uh, founder was really Father James McHugh, a Catholic priest who was working very closely with Terrence Cardinal Cook at the time, who was the head of the Bishop's Pro-Life Committee. And McHugh recognized that the Catholics by themselves would never be able to really change the situation that was developing in the country. So McHugh was the the impetus behind bringing these people together and forming the first meeting of people from around the country. So it was a Catholic priest that created National Right to Life, in effect. Well, that's very interesting. And what's the size of the National Right to Life? National Right to Life has an affiliate in all 50 states. Uh, One organization is recognized as the affiliate. And we also have approximately 3,000 chapters at the grassroots level. In addition to that, over the years, we've acquired names and addresses and phone numbers of people who are concerned about the abortion issue. And we have approximately 20 million families identified across the country. Is that worldwide across the United States? No, that's just the United States. And do people also come from other countries as well? We have people coming to our convention from other countries, and we have sent our people to other countries, having been invited to many different countries to help organize Right to Life. In fact, they look at America as kind of their model of what they would like to build in their country. And we focus mainly in three areas, education, legislation, and political action. We want to change hearts and minds of the people in the country, which is where our educational focus comes in. We want to pass bills to protect unborn children, as well as those with disabilities and the elderly who are being threatened with assisted suicide or rationing of health care. But then we also have to do the political work because you can't pass those bills if you're not electing the right people who are going to vote for them or or sign them as governors or president. So we kind of see a a threefold way to reach our goals. That's very interesting. So, Carol, tell us how you got involved then and when did you come on board? I grew up in a pro-life family. My parents were actually very involved with North Dakota Right to Life uh, on the state board of directors for that organization. So when I was in school, I knew that they were going to meetings, and we were one of the homes that had a lot of papers around on the kitchen table and on the counters, you know, because that's how volunteers were, were working, and many of them still do. But then I got a little older and decided I needed to get involved myself. I was asked to take over as executive director for North Dakota Right to Life after being a volunteer for a few years. And through that, I got to know people at National Right to Life. So then I moved to Washington and took over as political director back in 1991. And now I'm president. So it was just kind of a a constant growth. If someone wants to get involved in the pro-life movement and they're active and willing, 
who knows where they could end up. Well, you have a lot of knowledge because you've been doing it now for a long time. Yes, I have. And now it's in our nation's capital. That's right. And how about you, Ernie? Tell us how you got involved. Well, I came at it from a completely different perspective. My background is electrical engineering, and prior to coming into the pro-life movement, I worked for 12 years for the Department of the Army on advanced weapon systems. Wow. And um, I remember being at home on a, on a Saturday, and there was an article. It was raining, and I couldn't go outside and, and work in the yard. And there was an article in a local paper back in page 43 that said, local anti-abortion group to meet. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. And I clipped the article. Mm -hmm. And it turned out I ended up going to that meeting. And it was my first exposure to it. And when they asked for volunteers who would want to form a chapter of Pennsylvanians for Human Life, I raised my hand. I'd never volunteered for anything. I was an electronics geek, and I was not involved in any kind of social activity like this. You got passionate about it. And I just knew it was wrong. I mean, they say, you're pro-life because you're Catholic. I say, no, I'm pro-life because I looked at what was going on, and logically, as a scientist, it's wrong. You know, it, it didn't take a lot of other arguments. It was just logically wrong. So how many years now have you been doing I this? joined that chapter in 1974. We formed the chapter. And in 1979, I moved to Washington and took over the executive director position at the National Committee for Human Life Amendment. And then in 1988, I moved to National Right to Life as their director of outreach. So I've been full-time in the movement since 79. Well, let's talk a little bit about U.S. Congress, and thank you, Ernie, for sending me the list of the senators and the Congress members of who is pro-life and who isn't. I thought that was really interesting, and that was pages and pages. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? We have a a strong position in the House of Representatives right now. Uh, We've been able to pass pro-life legislation by pretty fair margins. In the Senate, it's very close, and I think Carol keeps better track of this than, than I do. But we were able to get a Supreme Court justice through the Senate, and that was a, a major step for us to, to have a Supreme Court justice who's pro-life. But the pain bill uh, that we're trying to get through the Senate right now is just hanging there. We're just not quite we just don't have the votes right now to, to make that happen. Well, we need a lot of prayer for that, right, Carol? We, we really do. Um, Ernie mentioned the Pain Bill. That's the Pain Capable Unborn Child Protection Act, which would say that once a child has developed to the point where he or she can feel pain, which is about 20 weeks after fertilization, abortion would no longer be allowed. And that has been passed in, I believe it's 12 states now, uh, around the country. And uh, it's passed the House of Representatives, and we're waiting, hoping for a vote in the Senate. But we're also working on bills that would ban the dismemberment abortion procedure. You cannot kill an unborn child by tearing off the arms and the legs during the abortion process. Our biggest success really was the ban on partial birth abortion. It was a particular type of uh, procedure, so this would be one more that we'd like to say they they cannot use. Um, But we're also working on efforts to defund Planned Parenthood. Uh, There will be a vote hopefully soon on the Born Alive Infants Protection Act, Abortion Survivors Protection Act, uh, so that babies who survive abortion can be protected and given the kind of medical help that they want or need. 
and do you have programs and activities for young people? I mean, you talked about education, so we, educating is a big part of it, right? We do. We have had uh, for several years now an ac- academy that we um, call it during the summer for college students so that they can come to our office and spend time to learn all the issues, and it's very detailed uh, information on the pro-life issues, but it's not just learning them, it's what do you do with that information. They have to give speeches, they have to do interviews, they have to lobby, you know, pretend members of Congress or legislators, that we really get them trained that when they leave that academy, they know what they're doing and how to do it. It's been a a great tool for a lot of our our younger people. And Ernie? Yeah, I'd like to add something to that. We also have a uh, national essay contest and oratory contest, and we've added now a video contest. And for example, each state will have uh, students who write the essays. They will judge the essays on a state level, and then the winners in the state go to the national. And for example, in Maryland uh, this year, we had w- over 100 students write essays for uh, the contest. The winners of the Maryland will go then to national. So we, our affiliates are very, very active with young people. Some of them have even started what are called camps, pro-life camps, where students go for a week to a university or college somewhere, and they bring in national speakers to address the students and teach them about pro-life. But if we have one more minute, I'd like to mention that the real strength of the pro-life movement is, as Carol has alluded to, is our affiliate strength in the states. And when we looked at partial birth abortion, which was an incredible effort that went on, 32 states passed partial birth abortion on a state level. Now, the term partial birth abortion was coined by National Right to Life. And the legislation models that were used in these state legislatures came from National Right to Life. So National Right to Life provided the resource and the expertise for our states to then go into their state legislatures and pass this very tough bill. And 32 states did. That's amazing. Well, hold that thought. We're talking with Carol Tobias and Ernie Olaf, and we'll be right back to Catholics in the Capitol. Stay tuned. Catholics in the Capitol will return right after this break on 1160 AM WMET. Not sure what gift to get for your loved one or what book to read next? Go to Pascal Lamb. Pascal Lamb is a full-service Catholic bookstore and gift shop. Located in Fairfax, Virginia, Pascal Lamb has a large variety of top-quality merchandise and a knowledgeable staff. We're open Monday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. For more information, call 703-273-5956 or shop online at pascallamb.com. On the 22nd of each month, come to the St. John Paul II National Shrine for Evenings with Merciful Jesus. All are welcome to join the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy for adoration with praise and worship, confession, a talk by one of the sisters, and a small group reflection. Recognize that God's mercy is greater than our sins, so that we call upon Him with trust, receive His mercy, and let it flow through us to others. For more information, go to jp2shrine.org. That is jp2shrine.org. the 
And now with me in the studio is our weekly guest, Father Jack Hurley from the Cathedral of St. Matthews. Welcome, Father. How are you today? Fine. Thank you, Christina. You've probably had a very busy morning with the March for Life today. So far, yes. And uh, it's uh, fortunate this year that the weather is a lot better than it often has been in the past. So that certainly has been a good sign to bring out more enthusiasm and, and uh, marchers. Yes, it's sunny and going up to uh, 40 degrees today and low winds. That's what we need. Yes, praise the Lord. So what are we going to talk about today, Father? I know we're beginning something about the prayer for Christian unity. Can you tell us about that? Right. Well, th- while today certainly we focus on right to life, we also find ourselves in the week of prayer for Christian unity. Now, this observance, now in its 100th year, runs from yesterday, January the 18th, to next Thursday, January 25th, the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul. It was first celebrated in 1908 in the chapel of a small Atonement Franciscan convent of the Protestant Episcopal Church at Graymoor on the Hudson. 50 miles north of New York City. This new prayer movement so caught the imagination of others to become a movement that has blossomed into worldwide observance by many nations and millions of people. After Father Paul Watson and Sister Lorena White, co-founders of this commitment to the reunion of the Anglican Communion with the Roman Catholic Church, After they had led their movement into the Catholic Church, Pope Pius X then gave his blessing to this church unity octave. And in 1916, Pope Benedict XV extended its observance to the Universal Church. And the week is now also sponsored by the World Council of Churches. The atonement priests and sisters are active here in the Archdiocese, Just across from Catholic University, the Franciscan Sisters of the Atonement operate the wonderful Washington Retreat House. The octave is chock full of many calendar observances. The first day previously was the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter, but that is now celebrated in February. Now, however, it honors St. Margaret of Hungary, the Dominican nun who gave up her role as princess to sacrifice for the poor. The 19th today is when our nation this year stresses the right to life. Tomorrow is the Feast of St. Sebastian, the subject of many colorful portrayals of his martyrdom. The 21st is the feast day of the beloved St. Agnes, recalled by the pallium circular band worn by the Pope and many archbishops formed by the wool of two lambs. Lamb in Latin uh, is Agnes, and these are blessed at the Church of St. Agnes in Rome. Then this coming Monday, the 22nd, the the actual anniversary of the Supreme Court decision is commemorated in the USA as Day of Prayer for the Legal Protection of Unborn Children. This year on Tuesday, We honor two Vincents, the martyr St. Vincent, 
as well as the founder of the Palatines, St. Vincent Pilate, patron of a high school here in the Archdiocese over in Laurel. And it's also a time to honor our newly canonized Marianne Cope, who followed St. Damien in caring for the lepers of Molokai. And then on the 24th, we celebrate the great bishop and doctor of the church, St. Francis de Sales. He is perhaps best known for his spiritual masterpiece, Introduction to the Devout Life, and many popular quotations, such as, do not wish to be anything but what you are, and try to be that perfectly. My first priestly assignment was to St. Francis de Sales Church, up on Rhode Island Avenue in Northeast D.C. And he is also patron of the Oblates of St. Francis de Sales, who are actively involved in the Arlington Diocese. And likewise, he was the mentor to St. Jane Francis de Chantel, founder of the Visitation Sisters. And then finally, this coming Thursday, we then come to completion of the octave and the January 25th celebration of the conversion of St. Paul. Well, Father, there's so many saints in January. Do you have a favorite? Pick two. What are your favorite? I think I would have to lean to St. Francis de Sales. He was a patron of the first parish that I was assigned to, and certainly I find that his uh, writings and the manner in which he also sought to deal with other faiths uh, is, is exemplary. He was, for example, named the Bishop of Geneva, but since at that time it was under control of the Calvinists, he was never allowed to enter his, his uh, see. But he always maintained a very cordial and, and um, I'd say deep, and yet at the same time loving effort, you know, to come to a deeper understanding for we, their shared belief. We only have a couple of minutes. I wanted to ask you about the prayer for Christian unity. How does the how does in the Cathedral of St. Matthew's, what do they do uh, there? Well, well by that? virtue of everything else going on, it kind of overshadows, for example, the right to life, obviously. But uh, there is a Mass for Christian unity uh, which is recommended uh, each time uh, when, when we have the opportunity. Well, Father, I'd like to urge our listeners today to pick out one of these saints that you've mentioned and perhaps read about their life and perhaps a saint could intercede. Do you have them. one yourself? Well, I like um, St. Sebastian. I mean, I always think of the artwork and the paintings, you know, sure. that make the biggest uh, impact to me. I also like uh, Vincent Pilate because... Um, that saint stuck out in my mind because I had, you know, a friend who was a mentor who was um, Father Peter Refrano, who has passed away, who was a mentor to me, who was a Palatine father. Mm -hmm. So those two especially. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And we will be back in a little bit to hear our guest today, Carol Tobias from the National Right to Life.
thank you for listening to the Guadalupe Radio Network and being part of the family. As family, we have a duty to pray for each other, and we would be honored if you would let us pray with you and for you. You don't even have to tell us your name. Just go to our website, grnonline.com, or call our prayer request line and leave us a message at 800-395-4008. That's 800-395-4008. We will be praying for you every day. Donnie, what are the mysteries that we pray on the rosary? Glorious, luminous, joyful, and sorrowful. There you go. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to WMET 1160 AM or simply log online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. All Catholic men are invited every Saturday morning to Blessed Sacrament Church in Alexandria, Virginia by the parish's men's group to enjoy fellowship with other Catholic men. It starts with breakfast at 6.30 a.m. and then a speaker will give a presentation at 7.15 a.m. Each week there is a different speaker talking on a topic related to the Catholic faith. For more information, go to blessedsacramentcc.org. That's blessedsacramentcc.org. On the 22nd of each month, come to the St. John Paul II National Shrine for Evenings with Merciful Jesus. All are welcome to join the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy for adoration with praise and worship, confession, a talk by one of the sisters or a special guest, and a small group reflection. Recognize that God's mercy is greater than our sins, so that we call upon Him with trust, receive His mercy, and let it flow through us to others. For more information, go to jp2shrine.org. That is jp2shrine.org. And now we have the fun part of the show where we're going to talk about what to do and what to see when you come to Washington, D.C. So I'd like to welcome Mike on the show. How are you today? I'm doing just well. How are you, Christina? I'm doing great, and I can't believe all the people that are here today with the March for Life. I know. It's crazy, isn't it? It's like the city almost doubles in its size whenever the March for Life goes on. Well, I'm wondering, where is everybody going to go eat? That's an important question. (laughs) You know, it's right after lunchtime, and so I know that the March is going on, but afterwards, you know, you might want to sit down with your friends and your family in town for a nice, rich, strong, hearty dinner to warm up after the March. Where would you recommend Well, yeah, people have to be hungry, but I would say if they're going to end up by the Capitol, they're probably going to go down to 7th Street. Oh, yeah. And down there, there's some really good restaurants. I'll tell you what my favorite are. I happen to like Capitol Grill. That's if you like steaks and things like that. There's probably more for dinner. And then there's also that great Mexican place, which is Rosa Mexicana. That's fabulous. Or maybe you just want some soup, like from uh, Legal Seafood. Have you ever been there? I have. It's the best. I love legal seafood. I'm a big seafood person in general, and so anytime I can get like a good fresh piece of fish, I'm there. I happen to like the presidential soup recipe, which is the New England clam chowder. Ah! Plenty of potatoes. Yes. Nice and hearty for this time of the year, too. Yes, when it's cold out. And there's another restaurant called Carmine's that actually came out of New York before I came to Washington, and that is really great for large families. And, you know, if you need a big plate yeah. of meatballs and I, pasta. I go there once a year, right? It's that good, but it's, it's a once-a-year type of restaurant for me. And um, I went right before Christmas this year. And phenomenal. Phenom- it'll fill you up. Plus, it's usually not any weight. You know, they've That's got, right. they've got um, a big rooms in the back, so I would head over there. 
Yeah, that's a great place for a lot of people to go all at once. You know, like you were saying, a, an, an Italian-style family dinner setting. True, true, yes. I mean, you're right there. You're coming out of the Capitol and head down to 7th Avenue. So also, let's talk about some other exhibits that are going on. You know about the Tamayo? I was looking up on that a little bit. Not as much as, as I'm sure you do, but it seems incredibly interesting as Tamayo had those lushly colored paintings. Are you familiar with those? Well, he's a Mexican artist. Right, yeah. And uh, I remember I was selling his art back in New York many years ago, and then he died, and the prices jumped and tripled. But he, you know, Mexico's one of Mexico's most famous artists, Tamayo. And here it's going to be taking place, I think, at the Smithsonian at the American Art Museum. That's right. It's going to be his display, the New Yorker's Year, or I'm sorry, the New York Year's. Uh, It's the first exhibition to explore the influences between this major Mexican modernist and the American art world with 41 of his finest artworks. So I'm sure you will have seen some of his previous artworks there before. But for those who may not have, it's going on through March the 18th. So plenty of time to get on down and check out that really unique exhibit. Absolutely. Yeah. If you don't have time this week, it's going to be there for a while. Now, have you read about the new, well, the play Hamlet, of course, course, at the Shakespeare Theater? Of course I have. Hamlet is one of the most well-known plays. You know, it's, everybody knows Hamlet. Anybody who's gone through high school probably has had to read Hamlet at some point in time. We don't even need to really review what Hamlet's about. Everybody knows the story behind Hamlet. But it's going to be a great one to go to. It's one of Shakespeare's I would say, aside from Romeo and Juliet, it's probably his best-known work. Best-known. And that's going to be taking place at the Shakespeare Theater from January 16th through the 25th. So, again, plenty of time. It's going to be in for just a little bit more than a month, so a lot of time to get down. And I know somebody that works down at the Shakespeare Theater. They say it's a wonderful show. They wonderful. say it's a wonderful show. And do you see anything else that you, that, that yeah. you might want to attend or you know, you, tell people about? Speaking on, on, on Shakespeare and going off of that, did you see that at the Folger Shakespeare Library, they have painting Shakespeare going on? Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, so that's going to go on through February the 17th, and it's discovering the painting collections, all the stories, the glories, and Shakespeare's power to inspire and the visualize artists. It takes the humble sketches to international masterpieces, it's something for everybody, kids and adults alike. And, you know, Shakespeare, I don't know about you, we mentioned two of his earlier, Romeo and Juliet and Hamlet. Neither of those are my favorite one of his plays. I actually prefer A Midsummer's Night's Dream. Yes. A little romantic satire, if it you will. It sounds like you know your Shakespeare. I dabbled a little bit in Shakespeare back in my day. Now, you know, a lot of people are probably going to want to go to the Museum of the Bible because it's still new. It only opened in November. And you said you were just there again this past weekend. I made my second trip on on Sunday because I couldn't see it all the first time. So I spent two hours this Sunday and two hours the Sunday before that. And I'm sure that, you know, the tickets are free there. Yes, of course. Do you actually have to reserve that time to go? Is it crowded around the clock that you should really go online to reserve those yes, tickets? Yes, it saves time this, okay. and the line moves. If you see a little line outside, don't be frightened of that because it's moving and it's moving. But they don't really look to see what time you were coming in. I worried about that because I parked down there and <laughs> I will always go on a Sunday because you don't have to pay for parking. Free parking, that's right. But, you know, you uh, it moves and they don't really look to see what time you were supposed to be. They're more counting tickets than anything else. So 
Don't go with a ticket for two when you show up with five people. Okay. They, they okay. will hold you up a little bit there. Well, that's good to know. Well, Christina, it is the March for Life going on right now as we speak. I want to just let a couple people know, or the listeners know, of a couple more events that are going on throughout the end of the day that maybe they can't get down there for the march, but after work or after school, maybe they'll slide down and check out some of the other events that are going on. So from 2.30 to 5.30 outside the U.S. Supreme Court is going to be the silent No More Awareness campaign testimonies in which people will share testimonies of their abortion pain and healing. So that's well, going great. to be know powerful. That. That's going to be a powerful moment. Yes. A couple, three hours. And then you have the Nellie Gray Mass, and that is going to take place after the March for Life at 4 o'clock. It's going to be a solemn Mass celebrated in the extraordinary form as a traditional Latin Mass. And that's going to be taking place at St. Mary Mother of God Catholic Church on 5th and H Streets Northwest in downtown that D.C. That used to be Nellie Gray when she was alive. That's where she used to always go to that's Mary, right. Mother of God. That's right. And that's uh, close to 7th Avenue. That's on 5th. Correct. And then last but not least, after all that's all said and done, from 4 until 6 p.m., this is going to be a big one for our listeners, Building a Culture of Life Happy Hour. It's Friday, right? <laughs> Thank God it's Four Friday. Four to six, it's Friday. <laughs> and so <laughs> you can join people down there to discuss life and liberty. It'll be held at 201 Bar on Capitol Hill, and there will be a featured speaker there. Ryan Streeter will speak on how to inspire and build up a culture of life. The first drink, this is important too, the first drink's on the house if you RSVP. So you got to go online uh, to marchforlife.org to RSVP for that. And, you know, happy hour starts off and they're going to pay for one. Well, that's some wonderful information. Thank you for sharing that with us. Of course. Well, thank you, Mike, for joining us on what to do and what to see in Washington, D.C. Absolutely, Christina. We'll talk to you later. Hi, I'm Dan DiBiase. And I'm Mike Washabaugh of 1160 AM WMET. We're looking for volunteers in the Archdiocese of Washington, Baltimore, the military, and the Diocese of Arlington to become parish representatives. As a parish representative, you would serve essentially as liaison between WMET and your parishes. We will have meetings throughout the year to keep you abreast of what is going on at the station and what we need you to do at your parish. If you are interested, you can email me at dan at grnonline.com or me at michael at grnonline.com. Once we have an idea of who and how many people are interested, we will send out an email stating the time and location of our first meeting. My email again is dan at grnonline.com. And mine is michael at grnonline.com. The success of WMET relies heavily on volunteers in any capacity, and we strongly encourage you to consider being a parish representative today. Thank you for your continued support of WMET as we continue to evangelize through the airwaves. Rejoice, be glad. If this does not sound like you, then you need to go to rejoicebeglad.com. Author Melanie Rigney provides wonderful and inspiring stories on the lives of Catholic women saints. This website is filled with insights, resources, and articles on saints. For Guadalupe Radio listeners, for a limited time, go to rejoicebeglad.com forward slash GRN for a package at special pricing. That's rejoicebeglad.com forward slash GRN. Not sure what gift to get for your loved one or what book to read next? Go to Paschal Lamb. Paschal Lamb is a full-service Catholic bookstore and gift shop. Located in Fairfax, Virginia, Paschal Lamb has a large variety of top-quality merchandise and a knowledgeable staff. We're open Monday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. 
For more information, call 703-273-5956 or shop online at pascolam.com. Here at 1160 AM WMET, one of the things that we love to do is evangelize through the airwaves. If you want to help us evangelize through the airwaves by evangelizing on the roadways with an 1160 AM WMET bumper sticker, it's very easy. All you have to do is give us a call or email us at WMET at GRNonline.com and we'll send you out an 1160 AM WMET bumper sticker. This is Monsignor Walter Rossi, the rector of the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. And you are listening to 1160 AM WMET on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholics in the Capitol. And I'm with Carol Tobias and Ernie Olaf with the National Right to Life. Welcome back. Thank you. Well, we were talking about earlier about assistant suicide. Carol, can you tell us, and this is a, a terrible thing that older people feel if they're sick or they're old and they are in pain, that they can get some sort of medication to end their life. And there may be some listeners out there that don't have any of the real facts. Could you share with us? There are five states currently in the country that allow assisted suicide. So someone can go to a doctor and say, basically, I want to kill myself. I want to end my life. And if the doctor is agreeable, you know, he or she will provide a prescription so that the person can get basically an overdose of sleeping pills. I mean, it's much more complicated than that, but, you know, they end up killing themselves. Many times we think it's because they are in great pain, uh, but they're not. Mm-hmm. because pain can be controlled, and if it isn't, then find another doctor. A lot of times it's because they don't want to be a burden to their family or they just don't think they have any reason to go on. Uh, so, of course, these are the kinds of heart-tugging stories that we hear, but in reality it is a way to start pushing off early people who are just maybe taking up too many medical resources or mm-hmm. they're taking up you know, too much of their their family's time, they're being a burden to someone. Uh, and, and this is just really an, a direct assault on the sanctity of human life. Every human life right. is precious. Every human life should be protected and valued, and every life has dignity. So then for someone to say, oh, I want to end my life, um, you're also taking the chance that someone else is going to pressure them to end their life. And they're just, you know, we know that there are so many abuses from the laws that are there from the states that are in existence. We are now seeing countries over in Europe that are um, euthanizing teens, young people. Oh, my goodness. They are killing babies uh, after they're born because they have some disability. I don't know what, what kind of term to call them, you know, the elites, whoever that, you know, that might be. But someone is determining that a life is not worth living. And we have to reject that and start talking and standing this is, up this for This is not all God's life. way. No, it is Ernie, not. Ernie, let, let me ask you, do you think that physicians don't care about this and they don't have any feeling? Are there any doctors out there that, that are making this worse and helping to assist? Well, I think many, many doctors are very strongly opposed to this because they see it as a sliding situation where you're on a slippery slope. And the same arguments that were used to liberalize the abortion laws are now being used in the, in the pain physician-assisted suicide area. Abortion was really legalized because people were making the hard case arguments of rape, incest, fetal deformity, life of the mother, health of the mother. 
And of course, that word health then turned into abortion for any reason at all. We have the same situation going on with physician-assisted suicide, where it's not the severe pain, but it's I'm depressed and I don't want to live anymore. And of course, on the other side, we have some doctors who are very interested in getting organs really? to transplant. And in some of the European countries, they have somebody coming in who's depressed. They give him the medication to put him to sleep and kill him. And in the next room, they have a bunch of doctors ready to grab his heart, lung, liver, liver whatever, right. and right. just send it out to be used. And when we look at physician-assisted suicide, it's almost like follow the money. Follow the money the, trail. The, it's, it's there. It's the uh, organs. It's the relatives who say, well, gee, Uncle Charlie's got 40 acres out there in western Maryland, and I've got a kid in college right now, and I sure could use some of that inheritance money. My goodness. Uh, when you look at the money situation and the insurance companies are saying, well, you know, we're paying all this money to keep this person alive. I mean, isn't there a, a better way to do this? Well, yeah, there is. You kill the person. Because so we, do, we do have some states that have like a, a government insurance type or medical program that will pay for assisted suicide, really? but they will not pay for other treatments for the individual. That has, that has been offered I have to not, patients. Uh, what, what insurance companies are doing that? Is this well, it was in Oregon. There Oregon were two and, cases. Oh, and an Oregon Ca- donor. California as well. Yeah. And, it, and it's cheaper to just let some, give someone a prescription rather than go through, might be treatment for cancer or just you know debilitating and declining health. Mm-hmm. The two most impressive cases were the ones in Oregon where two people had cancer. Their doctors recommended treatment for their cancer. The insurance company said, we won't pay for that, but we'll pay $50 for your suicide pill. So what is a patient to do? I mean, if they w- cannot get if the proper have, drugs and they, they don't get have depressed. The money and they and the insurance company won't pay for it, what do they have? Suffer the pain or take the pill? So we need to make sure that these types of laws are not being passed in any other state. So I would encourage all of your listeners to just be aware if something like that comes up in their state legislature, yes. do everything they can to stop it. Right. And Carol, we're not just talking about Catholics here because now it's it's got opened up to people from all ages and all walks of life, not just the Catholic Church, correct? Yes, the pro-life movement is made up of a broad variety of people, many of them, I would say most of them, with strong religious backgrounds of varying denominations. But we are also seeing a growing number, and I think it's because there are so many pro-life young people that don't really have a connection to any church. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're seeing groups that are secular and atheist and agnostic, in effect, um, coming out strongly as pro-life people. So it's a broad section, and, and we need everybody fighting this battle. I see. Well, I know that the uh, National Right to Life is a nonprofit organization. So tell us how the organization goes about raising funds. And I'm sure you need to get donations. So why don't you tell our listeners out there of how they can donate to this wonderful organization? Well, National Right to Life does fundraising through direct mail, and people can donate on the Internet. And we would encourage them to Go to our website, www.nrlc.org, and there are many opportunities on our website to become part of National Right to Life and to help contribute to our work because we are really fighting an uphill battle financially. If you look at our one of our main opponents in this area, Planned Parenthood Federation of America just released their annual report 
and they show their revenues at approximately 1.5 billion with a B dollars. And of course, you know, we are small change in that area. So anybody who can help National Right to Life um, by donating to us. So we we have a big donor out there listening. They know to give you a call. (laughs) Absolutely. Call Carol. Call direct. Call Carol or call Ernie direct. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Now tell us some of the work that you're doing over at the organization. What is it like you talked about the tough battles? How do things work over there, Ernie? Well, I mean, we have a very active lobbying group that works the Hill and is constantly there trying to get our pro-life legislation passed and also trying to prevent bills that would be detrimental to us. So it's, it's a two-way street, but we have a very good reputation on the Hill. National Right to Life is considered to be one of the, the top lobbying organizations in, in the social area. We also work very closely with our state affiliates to try to help them strengthen their organizations. And then we have a daily electronic newsletter that goes out to all over the country, and and people can subscribe to that for free. I mean, that's a a free publication that we have with good information on it. And this being an election year, we have a political action committee and a victory fund that are going to be very aggressive in trying to elect more pro-life men and women to Congress. We especially need more votes in the Senate. So we're going to be you know, working the political angle as well during primaries and especially in November. And people don't realize the effect that the pro-life movement has had in the legislature through the election process. In 2016, National Right to Life endorsed 22 uh, Senate races that were considered uh, um, competitive races, and we won 20. That's a 91% win rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the House of Representatives, total, we endorsed 245 and won 233, and that's a 95% win rate. We win with those races because we put out a tremendous effort in educating people about the positions of their their legislators. And for example, in a recent election, we mailed 10 million flyers. We distributed, using lit drops, 6 million flyers. We called 4 million families and encouraged them to go out and vote. <clears throat> and then we emailed 5.5 million families And we reached, through social media, 2.5 million people. And we did 42,000 radio spots on 1,300 stations. This is a massive effort on the part of the election process uh, that National Right to Life has been engaged in. Also a lot of work. A lot of work. It is, and it's, but it's, it's paid off because we, of course, have done some polling afterwards to see if our efforts are effective. And we found out that, you know, roughly 29% of all voters coming into an election cycle have received or heard something from National Right to Life. So we know that our political program is highly effective. And that's why we have so many pro-life members of Congress uh, here. And of course, our state affiliates are doing work in their states to elect governors and legislators. Um, It's been a, a great program and we find it to be very effective. Well, here's a a question. Uh, We have a pro-life president, and last year we had uh, Kellyanne Conway come out and Mike Pence came out, which was wonderful. I think it was really made a statement for the pro-life movement. If President Donald Trump was listening today, what would you tell him, Carol? 
Thank you. He has been absolutely amazing when it comes to the pro-life issues. His administration has done so much using the what they can, you know, to change the law to create pro-life, you know, rules, regulations. But what we are going to see as the most long-lasting effect is that the Trump administration is working closely with the Senate to fill vacancies on the federal district and appellate court benches. That's mm-hmm. where we need to put more pro-life judges in so that when the state legislatures pass laws, they're upheld instead of struck down. Wonderful. And Ernie, yeah. last words. I would like to uh, just to- add a thank you to someone who has been helpful to National Right to Life and someone who helped arrange for this radio program today, and that's Cap Mona of Mona Electric, and uh, very pro-life, and um, I recently had a great meeting with him, and someone who I I believe will be uh, of great help to the pro-life movement in the future, and Cap, thank you. Well, that's wonderful. We, We love Cap, too. He's a big supporter of Guadalupe Radio Network and Catholics in the Capitol. Well, it was a pleasure having you both on, and I would like to encourage our listeners to go to the website again, Carol. The website is? NRLC, for National Right to Life Committee, dot org, O-R-G. And thank you for all, Ernie, and both of you, the the hard work that you're doing at the National Right to Life. Thank Thank you, you. Christina. It's a pleasure being on. Thank you for coming. Well, those were two of our best interviews about the National Right to Life. It was great to have Carol Tobias and Ernie Olaf in our studio today. I didn't realize it was one of the oldest organizations and has over 20 million pro-lifers. Today we witnessed thousands of people who believe in life and believe that God created us to respect the right to life, whether a child is in the womb or you're sick at the end of your life. The the pro-lifers were people who had courage to fight for their beliefs, and no matter what the criticism or whatever other people think, they get their peaceful message out there, and they come with their families, school groups, regardless, young or old. It's remarkable to see and learn how important the right to life is. What's amazing to me is how many people come together and then pray together, To pray with other people aloud is so much more powerful. And this is why going to Mass and praying for forgiveness after confession or walking in a procession or saying a rosary alone or with others is so wonderful. Praying when you get up in the morning and then praying to God at night is affirming that we are all his children and that he is always there for us. When we are praying, we are speaking to God, opening up our hearts and letting the Holy Spirit in. This gives us hope in our hearts. No matter what your age, we all need to pray. Today, Father Jack talked about St. Paul. St. Paul urges Christians to pray without ceasing. The importance of prayer is to cultivate a relationship with God through prayer. On our show, Catholics in Capital, we talk about prayers and the saints interceding for us. They're a fine example of people who have inspired us to know God, and they pray hard. Do the battle on your knees. These saints have conversations with God, and so must you. You are not going to want to miss next week when we have on our show Nancy Henry and Dr. Marie Vosiqua of the Catholic Medical Association. These two women are taking Catholicism by storm. And Dr. Vosiqua is a hardworking internist and president of the Catholic Medical Association. 
The other special lady is Nancy Henry. She is building a new computer software program similar to the Facebook called Parish to Parish. For all those who are interested in finding organizations within the Roman Catholic Church, I'd like to thank Michael Wasserbar for joining me today for Things to Do in Washington, D.C. And Mike is our radio producer and announcer. Thank you for all your hard work for making Catholics in the Capitol a big success. Don't forget about the car raffle going on to raise money for the Guadalupe Radio Network. For more information, you can go online, grnonline.com. Or you can send Dan a message at Dan on grnonline.com. We all know someone out there who needs a new car, so check it out. Now I'd like to close with a prayer for all pregnant women. Heavenly Father, you give us praise, for you are the creator of a new little life. We lift this tiny one up to you for protection. We ask for heavenly covering over this baby, so no harm can come to him or her. We ask that you would supernaturally make right anything that needs healing in the little body before the delivery. We also ask for easy and safe delivery. We give you praise for this pregnancy and rejoice in your steadfast love. Amen. I'd like to invite you to go to Catholics in the Capital Facebook page and like our page or send me a message. Tell me who was your favorite saint and if you need a prayer for someone. Or you can email me directly at the radio station at christinacox at grnonline.com. Thank you for tuning in today, and we'll be here next week on WMET 1160 AM at the Guadalupe Radio Network. I am your radio host, Christina Cox, for Catholics in the Capitol. Until then, God bless the Roman Catholic Church, and God bless America.